Well, all right. Hello once again to all of you, our listeners out there in points throughout the Cotton Belt, from California to the Carolinas. We are back with this, the 17th episode of the world-famous Cotton Companion podcast. As always, my name is Beck Barnes, and I am joined by my own Cotton Companion, the Cotton Grower Senior Editor, Mr. Jim Stedman. Hello, Jim. Beck, how are you doing? Beck, how are you doing today? Let me move in a little bit closer. <laughs> Yeah, we are uh, we are toying with our audio system here after some difficulties last time around. I'm also having to need a sip of water here. One second. So today is Thursday, May 5th. So happy Cinco de Mayo to all of you, dear listeners. I know y'all are out there in the planners in your sombreros with a margarita or something today. Actually, that's not something to joke about. Do not, do not be drinking on your farm equipment. Uh, you guys know better than that. Um, we do know <laughs> that planting season is well underway. I see all of y'all on social media out there using the hashtag plant16 sort of hashtag, which I love seeing. I love seeing you guys uh, adopting some of the new technology that's out there. Um, with that in mind, I want to pause in our normal routine here to, to plug this very podcast, even though I know I'm preaching to the choir. Inherently, if you're already listening to this, you are already listening to the podcast. But it's production season. We know you guys are in your planners out there. You're going to be in the cab of the tractor, in the cab of the truck for many hours uh, throughout the day here during production season. And we have kind of been... Uh, excited about this starting over the winter months you guys are in the deer stand you're out enjoying time with your family and whatnot you're a little harder to catch up with now we think we got a captive audience we know that uh there's only so much sports radio so much talk radio political radio that you can listen to throughout the day so when you are find yourself getting bored in the cab of that tractor this production season give the cotton companion podcast a spin uh let us talk to you, keep you entertained. Our, our episodes run about a half hour to 45 minutes each time out, and uh, you'll get caught up. You'll sound smart at the coffee table the next morning with all your grower buddies. Uh, so keep us in mind and evangelize while you're there at the coffee table for us. Uh, tell your friends about us. Let them know that they too can be educated and entertained by the cotton grower boys. Um, just keep us in mind. You won't regret it. So with that in mind, we've got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to start, like always, with Jim here leading us in a brief discussion of the latest breaking cotton news from around the globe. And uh, then we're going to bring you an interview that Jim conducted while he was out on the High Plains recently. He went to the Texas Cotton Growers, excuse me, yeah, Texas Cotton Growers Gin Show, Trade Show, and uh, out there and caught up with a bunch of interesting folks one of whom was a longtime friend of the magazine, really interesting fellow, Mr. or rather Dr. Sashadri Ramkumar. That is a mouthful. You can do like we do uh, affectionately and just call him Ram. Uh, Ram, as I say, he's an interesting guy. He's really a brainiac. He's a researcher and professor there at Texas Tech. Um, just to give you an example of the type of things that he has his uh, hands in during uh, one of the oil spills there in the Gulf of Mexico, Ram created and developed some sort of polymer-coated fabric thingamajig uh, out of cotton, of course. He's a, he's a major champion for cotton's causes. 
and he developed this uh, high-technology cloth that helped clean up oil spills out there in the Gulf. So a good dude and a smart dude on top of that. Um, For our purposes, he is an excellent source on the goings-on inside the cotton industry of India. Uh, As you may have guessed from his name, he uh, has a lot of insight into what's going on there in India. Uh, You might know that while the United States and China are going to plant fewer than 10 million cotton acres of cotton uh, this year in 2016, we believe, India is going to plant somewhere around 30 million acres. So um, they are insanely important to what's going on on the global markets. We, meaning Jim and I, spend a lot of time focusing on China, and rightly so. But when you're talking about production, when you're talking about keeping those global stocks filled to the brim, no one casts a larger shadow uh, on the global cotton industry than does India. So they have a major impact on your bottom line, ultimately, and uh, it's important to know what's going on there. So we are going to talk all things India with our main man, Ram, here in just a bit. Uh, First, though, as always, we're going to breeze through the news of the day with Jim leading that discussion. So hang with us here uh, through this break, and we will be right back. Cotton Grower Magazine has the honor of saluting exceptional sacrifice and contribution to the cotton industry through our annual Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. Since 1970, Cotton Grower has handed out this distinguished honor to one individual who demonstrates tireless dedication to the cotton industry through involvement, innovation, and leadership in those issues that have a large impact on U.S. cotton as a whole. Achievement Award winners are chosen after extensive research and thoughtful input from around the industry. Cotton Grower offers sincere gratitude to Case IH and to Delta Pine for sponsoring the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. In joining the effort to recognize and honor industry leaders, these companies demonstrate their devotion to the cotton industry and their desire to see growers succeed. Well, welcome back to uh, to this episode of the Cotton Companion. We're going to go ahead and move into the news segment right now. We're going to start with uh, this week's numbers out of USDA in terms of crop progress, uh, looking at how we're doing in terms of cotton planting across the cotton belt. Uh, for this year, or for this past week, ending May 1st, uh, we're looking at 16% of the crop currently in the ground. That's a 6% jump overall from the previous week. Uh, just a shade behind the five-year average, but pretty much right on it. I mean, we're talking two percentage points. That, in you know, in, in planting terms, is pretty much insignificant. The important part in all this is when you go back and look at the state-by-state numbers, we now have 12 states that have at least 10% or more of their crop planted, uh, and we saw some significant double-digit growth in uh, in planting coming out of places like Arkansas, Missouri, and Mississippi. For example, two weeks ago Arkansas had 3% of their crop planted. The report for this past week showed 36% of their crop planted. So that's a uh, that's a, a huge jump. Missouri went from 14% to 51% in a week. That's really reflective of you guys don't hear any rain hitting your window here in Memphis today. It's <laughs> It's, we've had some pleasant weather here re- recently, so you know these guys have just been licking their chops, ready to get out in the field. So. Ab- absolutely. You look at go to you know, if you look at the Texas numbers, it was a two percent increase over the past week. But again, think about the majority of the tech of the cotton acres that uh, that you'll find in the south and coastal areas have already are already in the ground. Uh, 
and we've seen some reports this past week that the soil moisture levels are really pretty solid across the state right now. Uh, so growers up in the plains, up in those high, high cotton acre areas are uh, have their planters primed, they're ready to go, uh, just waiting for the soil temperature to, to bump up a few more degrees. Uh, so once that happens and, and looking at the weather forecast for the plains uh, for the next week, they're looking at temperatures in the, in the 80s and 90s as usual. Uh, so we expect to see a lot of movement in these numbers uh, as we move ahead in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we're cheering y'all on. Get them in there. Get them in while you can. Get them in. Get as much in as you can. Right. Our, uh, our next topic uh, deals with uh, EPA. Uh, they have, uh, in response to a number of requests, they have added another 30 days to the public comment period on the proposed deregulation or regulatory decision to register dicamba for weed control in cotton and in soybeans that have been genetically engineered to tolerate the product. So for cotton, basically, we're talking about uh, the Bolgard 2 ExtendFlex uh, technology. Uh, public comments on this proposed regulatory decision have to be submitted to EPA no later than May 31st. And those comments may be submitted online. Uh, and if you, uh, if you go to our website at cottongrower.com, you'll find this article about the extension on the, uh, on the comment period. And in that article, you will find a link to that EPA comment page. Uh, if you just want to, uh, to take a few minutes and, uh, and, and let EPA know what you think about this registration. When the comment period closes, uh, EPA is going to be reviewing all those comments and reach a final decision, which they expect to issue late this summer or early fall. Yeah. yeah Jim, if I may, I, I, I would say we would really encourage you guys to be vocal here. Do speak up on uh, how much this technology is needed. We're talking about uh, the dicamba products now, but I mean, I would say the same thing for any, any of the new uh, weed technology that's coming out. Agriculture's opponents are often louder. They seem uh, more num numerous than they are because they're the loudest in the room. So, I mean, your uh, people who are considered opponents of agriculture, I'm trying to word this as politically correctly as I can, are going to be weighing in. So your uh, comments there are important in support of this technology. Right. You're the, you're the guys, you're the people with the experience in the field. You're the ones who are facing the uh, the challenges the, the, that we're dealing with, with, with problems like glyphosate-resistant Palmer amaranth. Uh, and, and, and your voice is, uh, is the voice that EPA needs to be hearing on this. So again, check out the article on cottongrower.com. Look for that link to the comment page and, uh, and do yourself and the industry uh, some favors on, on this one. Uh, speaking of Palmer amaranth, uh, friends out at Texas A&M AgriLife Extension are currently working on a survey to determine uh, what the weed management systems that are commonly used by growers in Texas as well as to get a handle on the uh, current extent of glyphosate-resistant weeds in the state. Uh, this, this survey is primarily focusing on uh, the extent of, of Palmer amaranth in West Texas, and answers from the survey are going to be used by the Extension Weed Science Team uh, to help them with their research efforts and provide better information to producers. Uh, again, this is an online survey. It should take no more than three to five minutes of your, three to five minutes of your time 
Uh, participation's voluntary. There's going to be no personal information collected. Uh, so if you again, if you go to cottongrower.com, you'll find an article about this Texas Palmer amaranth study. Uh, in that article, you will find a link to the survey and the password that you need to enter in order to to access the survey. So uh, I don't. There's not a time frame attached to this at this point. Uh, this will be the second year that uh, A&M has, uh, has conducted this survey. Uh, they really wanted one more year of data in order to, uh, to balance out the, the findings and the data and, uh, and come up with, with, uh, with the programs and the, and the information that they're looking for. Jumping back to EPA, this week there was sort of a, uh, an, an, interesting, an interesting set of circumstances. Uh, we, uh, we started the week with news coming out of, uh, of EPA with the conclusion that glyphosate, uh, as part of, their, uh, part of their ongoing registration review of glyphosate, that EPA basically had published its official classification of glyphosate as not likely to be carcinogenic to humans. So basically glyphosate is not a cancer-causing product. This is, uh, is really sort of in response to the word that came out of the International Agency for Research on Cancer, or the IARC out of France, just a little over a year ago, that assessed the carcinogenic potential of glyphosate and concluded that glyphosate was probably a, uh, a cancer-causing product. Uh, that conclusion prompted EPA to jump into the reevaluation of the herbicide. Uh, and and the initial the initial information that came out was uh, was favorable for glyphosate. Now Monsanto obviously was very pleased with the information, as was most of the industry. Uh, EPA then sort of backtracked a little bit, sort of a uh, a college game day Lee Corso not so fast my friend uh, moment, uh, saying that yes they did uh, they did have that document up, uh, but it was not a complete review the the document had not been completely reviewed as part of their uh, through their re review committee uh, it still had to be reviewed by a scientific advisory board uh, and all of this is expected to be completed uh, and the EPA assessment finalized and released later this year so uh, again I think the the indications are very favorable uh, at this point that we may be able to put the uh, the glyphosate carcinogen uh, situation or, or, or study or discussion to bed for uh, as much as possible. As, as, as you can tell in this, uh, EPA is actually the third organiza regulatory organization in the past year to come out uh, basically saying that, that glyphosate is not a problem. The European Food Safety Authority uh, said in November that it's unlikely to pose a carcinogenic hazard to humans. Uh, also last year, the Canadian Pest Management Regulatory Authority concluded that it's unlikely to pose a human cancer risk. So we're the studies that are based on good science and, uh, and, and deep, adequate study are now coming out uh, to counteract some of the other, other situations and other messages that seem to be out there at this point. Yeah, as, as we mentioned too earlier, there's no shortage of uh, opponents of modern agriculture who are willing to fling any number of accusations at the products that we depend upon. So kind of underscores 
what, what we were saying just a moment ago, we, we would really encourage you to voice your support uh, during this open comment period for uh, the Dicamba products because there are no shortage of folks out there who are voicing their disapproval of uh, the same. So enough of my soapbox encouragement. En- enough of our political editorializing yeah. right yeah. now. Yeah. Did you, was there anything That's else? That's it for the news. That's uh, it for the news. There we are. So with that, we want to uh, pump the brakes mm-hmm. on our hard news. We're going to take a short break, mm-hmm. and when we come back, we're going to bring you the aforementioned interview that Jim conducted with Dr. Sesh Ram Kumar of Texas Tech University. Jim, did you want to sort of set that up before we dive into it? Absolutely. As, 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 Beck, as you mentioned earlier in, in, uh, in, in introducing the, uh, the podcast today, uh, Ram is certainly one of the most interesting individuals in the cotton market that uh, that we that we work with or have have the opportunity to cross paths with. Uh, he's a very humble man. He's a very he's a brilliant scientist, uh, and he is involved in so many ways with so many segments of the industry. Uh, but his specialty is in the non-wovens area, which is a segment that most most people who produce cotton have very little experience with. Uh, he's a professor of technical textiles and countermeasures to chemical threats in the Texas Tech Department of Environmental Toxicology and the Institute of Environmental and Human Health. And uh, as you'll see, as you'll hear in the interview, we touch on a number of different subjects about, uh, about some of the nonwoven work that he's done about some of the advantages it may be bringing to the industry. We certainly talk about his, uh, his ties to, India, to the Indian cotton industry uh, and also uh, some, of the, uh, some of the recognitions that uh, are coming his way here very, very soon. But uh, one thing I did want to mention as we move into this, uh, shortly after we conducted the interview, uh, Texas Tech University uh, selected Rom as the recipient of the 2016 President's Excellent in Commer- Excellence in Commercial in Commercialization Award. That's really hard for me to roll yeah, off the. It just doesn't say, really yeah. roll off the tongue. Well, you got through uh, Independent <laughs> Human Health, whatever his title thing was. You're doing a good job. Keep so on. anyway, <laughs> just you know, I, I hope I hope you'll enjoy the interview uh, because it's uh, it's not often that we get a chance to sit down with someone who is uh, who is so unique and so important to the industry. Uh, he's, a, he's, he's always on the scene at, uh, at cotton industry events. He's well-liked in the industry, in, uh, particularly out in the high plains of Texas, and, uh, and does the very best he can to stay involved from, uh, you know, from a number of different perspectives. So I think you'll find the interview very fascinating. Very good, Jim. So we are going to hold up right there. We'll take a short break, and we'll bring you that interview on the backside of this break. So stay with us. We will be right back. Today we're in Lubbock, Texas. I've been out here for the Texas Gin Show for the Plains Cotton Growers Annual Meeting, and it always gives us an opportunity to sit down and visit with one of our uh, our frequent contributors and friends of Cotton Grower Magazine, Dr. Seshadre Ramkumar, uh, who we know affectionately, uh, and the industry does as well, as, uh, as our friend Ram. He's a professor of nonwovens and advanced mater- uh, 
with the Advanced Materials Laboratory at Texas Tech. Uh, very well connected in the industry, uh, not only in the U.S., but, but also globally. Uh, Rom, happy to have you with us today. Glad you could take some time to join us. Thank you, Jim. It's really a pleasure to be part of uh, your interview. I have a really very fond connection with uh, Cotton Grower magazine because you people helped me to get my word out, so for which I'm very thankful. That shows how your magazine and you people are friendly to getting views that's beyond the routine uh, area which, we normally, which you normally look into. So thank you, it's indeed a pleasure well, for you're me. More, you're more than welcome, and I think it's important for the industry because we, seem, we see, seem to be so focused most of the time on cotton production. And, uh, and, and the, the, the whole production and ginning process and the selling. And when you get into the end uses, most of it, most of the discussion goes to textiles and, and uh, you know, home goods and things like that. You spend the majority of your time working in the non-wovens business. Can you tell me a little bit about your work, about that section of the industry? Yes. And maybe some of the things that you've been involved with. Yes. So the one aspect I always look into is there's a lot of bright minds in the country who have been de dealing with two main aspects of the cotton industry per se, the yield and the quality. My thinking is the third phase of the sector, new untapped opportunities for cotton. That's how I started. Uh, I started because of uh, help from good people like Plains Cotton Growers and also a mentor whom I always value is Dr. Kader Haig, uh, who is now the Vice President for Agriculture. Mm -hmm. I had known him since his time at Delta and Pineland. So that's how I started. I wanted to bring in something which others are not doing actually. It's basically in 1999 I started thinking about it some roughly 17 years back. How do we bring cotton into non traditional markets so that's the basis of my work is to bring cotton into non-traditional segments and non-traditional applications so that's the basis of the work we do in the non-wovens and advanced materials and one of the tools we use of many we use these days is the non-woven technology so non-woven technology is yeah, advanced manufacturing within the textile sector predominantly goes for single-use products so if we could establish the presence of cotton in the single-use market segment, you could see the opportunity for cotton. Mm -hmm. I, I know in our discussions over the last few weeks, there have been, been a lot of things coming out. Uh, there is a, uh, I believe, announced basically early this week, uh, an Advanced Functional Fabrics of America Alliance uh, that's been announced. I believe MIT is involved with this and a number of other organizations. I know you're going to be involved with it to a certain extent. Uh, can you tell us about the program and, and why it's important to the yeah, industry? Yes. Um, this has been a part of the National Network of Manufacturing Innovation Initiative which uh, the U.S. Federal Administration has been doing and uh, they have been trying predominantly to increase the manufacturing. So that's very good because manufacturing sector in this country is not performing to the level what we want. So the basic premise is to create nodes of these innovative manufacturing, next generation manufacturing hubs in the country and the uh, important aspect 
aspect is to have this private-public partnership. We heard today the need for engagement. Uh, the Sean Halliday, the president of PCG, and the executive VP Steve Warren, they all emphasized the involvement of involvement of the public, involvement of the stakeholders. This is what the U.S. government was trying to do, is to actively, in a streamlined fashion, engage private entities and public partnership to create the revolution of manufacturing. And one of the segments they are looking into is textiles, but these textiles are not commonplace commodity textiles. These are going to be revolutionary textile products. And it, uh, out of a national competitive bid, the federal government on April 1st, Friday, announced uh, the investment, public-private partnership investment of $317 million, of which $75 million will come from Department of Defense for a period of five years. And the lead institute is MIT and a lot of other universities in uh, cotton belt, such as Auburn, uh, University of Tennessee, Knoxville, Clemson's, some aspects of Clemson's program are involved. And uh, I counted uh, from the information available, there are roughly about 145 charter, charter members who are part of this proposal. I think there will be opportunities for some new ones to collaborate and engage. I, that's where I think Texas Tech will come into play, is to see the opportunity to collaborate with already existing members uh, to give the strength aspects what we have, particularly in terms of cotton and so on and so forth. And MIT is leading the charge. The charge is to work towards a manufacturing sector in textile that will be dealing with next generation textile or smart textile products. Mm -hmm. Describe us, what would be an example of a smart textile product? A smart textile product is something where you wear on your body and if your body temperature changes, it reflects by some terms of color change, particularly when you are having a geriatric patient, my grandma or my mom, they are in the hospital, and when you are in a hospital dealing with a lot of patients, particularly in a hospice kind of thing, in the night you put some clothing on them and that will tell you how their temperature varies, mm -hmm. that's kind of chromatic changes. So these are one kind of examples which we could think of, and in those examples and products, cotton will certainly find a play, find a role. Yes. So those are smart, smart, intelligent textiles, and the government wants those next generation textiles to be the one that can smell, that can think, and that can do a lot of things other than just providing a, 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 an aesthetic value to you. That's great. That's great. Ron, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I know you're native of India. Yes, sir. You still have a lot of contacts back in India. India is uh, is certainly one of, the, has now become the world's largest cotton producer. Uh, can you give us just sort of a, a real quick glimpse inside that industry and, and how things are going in India and, and where they sort of stand as we move into another production season? Yes. So the India's production, see, India is kind of a tropical climate, so somewhere during the entire the entire time of year, somewhere people are planting cotton. So that's how we should know if India means the season is basically from October to September. And uh, I was told when I entered into the industry, Ram, in India, people would be planting cotton somewhere during all times of the year. So it's unlike the U.S. where we have a stipulated time frame of planting and harvest. So that's, right. uh, that's one difference we need to know. And the second thing is the Indian cotton industry is what it is today because of two things. 
That is the combination of hybrid seed and the genetic modification. So that is what has put India into this. It's not just GM alone. It's the combination of hybrid and the GM that has helped pivoted it to be a leader. And uh, uh, that is the two points is the difference of uh, the, the seasons there and also what led to this kind of cotton revolution in India is the two things. And the third one is uh, the Indian government has also invested a lot of money through their streamlined uh, agriculture research, uh, research uh, R&D setup known as Indian Council of Agriculture Research and Central Institute of Research on Cotton and then Central Institute of Research on Cotton Technology that is in, uh, that's in Mumbai, Central Institute of Cotton Research in Nagpur that led the way towards this. And there are a lot of good seed companies uh, which also collaborate. One big company collaborates with Monsanto in India. Right. So it's a combination of all. Okay. I just have to ask the question. You've been in Lubbock since what, 1999? How did you get from India? What what path did you follow to get to get from your homeland to Lubbock? Yes, and I think that uh, this is one of the best decisions I have made in my <laughs> life uh, because uh, I am the one who could give you the best scenario because I was born in India. I had my basic Bachelor of Technology Engineering Education in Textile Materials Masters in India. Then I moved to Europe, England and did my PhD from University of Leeds. Leeds and Manchester used to be the leaders in the textile industry. Then from England and Europe, I came to the United States of America. So it's a, it's a good progression of my career. So I could see the best of all three big worlds, I would say, but by far, in terms of people, in terms of resources, in terms of system as a whole, I think, if at all I'm living elsewhere than my homeland, India, it would be only United States. On Texas Tech, I didn't know anything about Lubbock when I came. It was in January 1999. I wouldn't even know how to pronounce. Then I was told by a, by a person that Lubbock is a German name. It had a roots in German. <laughs> so it's a nice place to be. And 17 years on the go, I feel Texas Tech is the mecca for cotton research and in terms of production uh, research, in terms of marketing research, in terms of value-added research. I think if somebody has to do research in cotton, this is the best place in the world now. Well, and, and apparently you've been doing a great job with the research because I, I, I can't let you go without noting uh, for our listeners that your work has certainly not gone unnoticed by your peers. Uh, you have been selected by your peers to receive the, the Tappy Net Division Technical Achievement Award and the uh, Hollingsworth Prize for Technical Achievement during the upcoming uh, Tappy Nonwobens Conference in May. Um, first of all, we want to congratulate you Thank on you, those sir. honors. What does this mean to you uh, as, uh, after all the work you've done and, and to be recognized by your peers in this way? It's really humbling because it is it is those peers who are dealing with you apart from your family on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's something if they recognize you, so that means you had done something that had put you, or put you on some notice in a positive way for which I'm thankful. But more importantly, the TAPI is basically Technical Association of Pulp and Paper Industry that last year celebrated 100 years. Imagine, that's a mm -hmm. history there. And they have the only one place 
professional group for people solely working in non-wovens, and they were the pioneers in talking about cotton in non-woven. So they were some 10 years back or so, they were the early ones to think of how we could give some consolidated information on cotton in non-wovens. So that's a leading group in non-wovens. And uh, now I think with this investment from uh, the government and all private sectors involved, and also support from cotton industry, I think we, if, if we all collectively put our brains together, we may see some new opportunities for cotton in the advanced textiles. That's great. Ram, thank you for your time. Uh, we appreciate your con continued contributions to Cotton Grower, not only to our publication and, and the work that we're able to do uh, for the cotton industry, but certainly for the industry in general and the work that you've been able to, uh, to contribute. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the opportunity to visit with you, too. Great. Thank you. We'll be back with you with Cotton Companion right after this short break. All right, that's going to just about do us do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to thank you, as always, sincerely for joining us. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, by all means, tell your farmer buddies about this podcast. You can tell them that they can find us <clears throat> in three easy ways. The first, they can go to cottongrower.com and searching for Cotton Companion in the search bar or by typing into their URL bar, cottongrower.com slash companion. That'll take you to the landing page with all of our previous 16 episodes and this 17th one, uh, and you can select which episode you want to listen to from there. The second way that they can find us, subscribe to our channel on iTunes. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you're familiar with the iTunes process, just go ahead, go to iTunes, uh, search out the Cotton Companion podcast, and you can subscribe to our channel there. Once you do that, you could even leave us a rating, let us know what you think of our pod. Are we doing good? Are we doing terrible? We would love to hear your feedback. Uh, the third and final and great way, I think it's the best way to receive each installment of the Cotton Companion, is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. Uh, Jim works hard, packs all of the rev relevant uh, industry news of the day into those things, and they hit your email inbox each Tuesday morning. Occasionally, they will arrive on Thursday mornings as well. Uh, you can subscribe to the e-newsletter by going to www.cottongrower.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you'll see a link there to subscribe to the e-newsletter. Uh, also, we want to make sure you're following us on social media. Uh, we are on Twitter. We are at Cotton Grower Mag. And on Facebook, you can find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine in the search bar. Uh, we do hope that you are enjoying our latest issue, which is the May... May is it the May issue? This one should be hitting their mailboxes now. May it? issue should be out. Uh, should be hitting mailboxes here within the next few days. There you go. We've got a cut. We've got some great uh, feature stories in there. Cover story on Kansas and what we think is going to be an acreage explosion in that state is how it was described to me. So, a really interesting issue. We hope that you enjoy it. So, this podcast is produced by Mark Antonelli. He works at the Mothership Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, we wish you and your farm all the best.